No, no. Alright. I'm gonna trade you two sheep for that wood. Tell me, honey, does that sound good? Cause all I really wanna do is take away longest road from you, yeah. Welcome to these tabletop sessions. Welcome to the welcome to the welcome to these tabletop sessions. Hello, fellow gregarious geeks and gamers. Welcome to the 35th episode of the Tabletop Sessions podcast. This is your monthly dose of tabletop gaming stories and shenanigans. My name is Elias, and with me is the injectable, silicone and smooth Hippocrates. Smooth overall. Hello, everybody. This is Ippo. Did you get it? Did you get why I said injectable, silicone and smooth? No. What is that? It's like uh, well, we're doing we're doing our we're doing our top f- five. No, <laughs> oh, it's uh, a filler. In, uh, oh, filler, my yeah. God. Oh my god, injectable <laughs> And I'm an engineer. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank so you. How have you been, Ivo? Have you had any uh, any new games recently? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, well, the basic new game I had this uh, month was Hegemony arrived from Kickstarter. Nice. Uh, but I have a lot to say about Hegemony later because we played it, we played it again and we played it a th- third time. Uh, wow. So I won't put it in the acquisition section. In the acquisition section, Fair I just enough. want to, to say that I have this beautiful WhatsApp group with uh, other people living in, in the same compound with me. And, you know, people are, uh, it's like a a neighborhood thing where people are saying, oh, I ran out of sugar. Somebody, please give me some sugar. Can I? And somebody (laughs) else says, oh, yeah, please come to apartment uh, number 112. Yeah, yeah, I can give you some. So that's the spirit of the group. So at some point, there is this lady and she clears her her daughter's uh, room. And she said, you know, she's old enough now. She's like seven, eight years old, so she, she doesn't need any more these little board games she has. And these little board games were, were like cat-themed games. So they're like, <laughs> she, she posts the photos from the games, and one is like, you know, a game about a four-year-old, uh, uh, about four-year-olds uh, about a cat. Another game, board game, you know, a, something like a puzzle about four-year-olds and uh, themed with a cat. And the third game she posts is Exploding Kittens. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it looks like... I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a cat game. So yeah, but wrong. I mean, they, it was wrapped. They didn't even know what they had. It's like they, somebody well, maybe... She, she just wanted something with cats on it. Yeah, exactly. Or somebody maybe just gave a gift. So they, they saw the cat. They thought, okay, she's a four years old. Let's give, give her this uh, little game. Oh, it was a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> What's the point? So and she, she was just giving them free because they didn't she didn't need them anymore. So I said, yeah, I can have exploding kittens. Thank you very much. So that that's my proud acquisition of the. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, you should give it back to her. <laughs> it's, it's my best value for money game right now. 
Well, because it, its value for money ratio goes to infinity. It's free. Yeah, it's, it's infinite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a as a grown adult and serious board gamer, I had uh, more serious games, you know, in my acquisitions. Um, I received the Kickstarter for uh, Small City Deluxe Edition, which is uh, Alvin Viard, the guy who did Tramways and Clinic. And uh, I'm so excited for it because one of the people in my group absolutely fucking hates small uh, tramways. He thinks it's like, it's a game that makes people angry. I don't know what it is. I agree with him. It's, It's a strange game. It's an amazing game. It's one of my favorite games ever. But it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's not forgiving. If you make one mistake early, that's it. You know. So if you're one of those people that if you're not doing well, you get butthurt about things. Oh. You know, your first game ever. If you fuck up early on, you're fucked for four hours. Yeah. You know, three and a half hours. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like if you gave it another chance, you'd like it. Probably not. It's a fun little joke that goes back and forth. But yeah, so I was excited. I was like, "Oh my god, look, uh, Small City came out." You know, Carol, this is your, this is your, uh, your favorite designer. And he goes, "I'm not. I'm not opposed to trying it. I will give him a chance to learn from his mistakes." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so I got that. I'm excited. What about clinic? Does anybody has clinic in your group? I have. I have clinic. You have I clinic. Have, I. Yeah, I have the Kickstarter editions of all three. Uh, I really like his his stuff. I played it, yes, I loved it. Um, But also it's a little unforgiving. First time we played, I took on a patient I couldn't handle and they died, you know, early in the game. And I just, I played really well from that point on. And I just, I could never make up that difference unless Dima, I was playing a two-player game, unless Dima also made a mistake. But it's an excellent game. It's really fun, really great. Uh, it's it's a lot less serious than it looks. Like it's a lot of fun, oh. and uh, the main the main thing with it is uh, it, it's heavy on rules, but but it's good. It's really fun. And Man, we need a review. I mean, our listeners, meaning myself, right, done. They need a review. I'll schedule I'll schedule <laughs> a game of it so I can. Yeah, and uh, the other the other things I have I sold recently, Fields of Arla, the Uwe Rosenberg game, uh, two player farming game. Um, and I sold Carpe Diem by Stefan Feld. May I ask uh, why so did you sell uh, Fields of Farl? I Somebody mean- emailed me and was like, can I buy it? And uh, I looked at BGG and people were selling it for ridiculous prices. So I felt I felt wrong for him. So I was like, all right, I'll sell it to you for a good price. So and Dima doesn't play it I with you anymore. Well, well, no, it's not that. It's just like when it comes to like a farming game, Whenever we're like, oh, let's play a farming game, we always go to La Granja, you know? Like, that really? seems to be the go-to. Yeah. I think in general, I kind of fall out of love with worker placement games because the same thing happened with, I loved Russian Railroads, then I sold it. Zolkin I loved, then I sold it. Uh, Viticulture is now on my for trade list. Um, Fields of Ar- uh, Caverna, oh, I loved that's, it, then I sold so it. That's so interesting what you're saying right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think I just kind of like, because it becomes kind of formulaic because there's only so many options you can do. I kind of fall out of love with them after a few plays. But, you know, that's just me. I love Dominant Species, and that has worker placement, but it's more of an area control game. So it really depends on um, what the game is. And uh, Carpe Diem is a good Steffenfeld game. It just, you know, if we're going to play Feld, you know, there's Trajan, Castles of Burgundy, Aquasphere that, you know, I like better. So It's funny that... You said that about worker placement, because this morning I was listening to a Ludology podcast from 2012, 
<laughs> where they have invited the designer of uh, Twilight Struggle. Okay. And he says that he thinks that the, the success of his game is because he found a place between war games and uh, Euro games. Because he says if you play, you know, a lot of Euro games, at some point, and he loves Euro games, at some point, they look samey to you. Yeah. And this is kind of kind of what you said with like worker placement. It's, yeah, no, not worker placement anymore. But again, this was you know an evaluation of him of the board game uh, uh, background in 2012. So today it's completely different. But at that time it, it was mainly worker placement, I guess. No, I mean it's it's true. Like you know, it's a lot of games can feel samey, you know, and that's okay. Like I don't feel like I didn't get satisfaction out of Russian Railroads. I I really loved Russian Railroads, and when we played it, I really liked it. And then at some point, it just became like, all right, everyone knows, turn one, get an engineer. If you don't get an engineer, get a ruble so that you can then get first place and then go for engineer next turn. And it was like, okay, we get it. Like this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is how to play this game. Like, okay, I, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't feel. I don't dislike that. I just, I didn't feel like I was thinking that much anymore. You know, and uh, and that's okay. You know, but um, that's why basically I love them. I get them. I enjoy them, and then I sell them and get other stuff. I mean, I'm selling Fields of Arl, and from the money I'm selling Fields of Arl for, I'm buying Pax Hispanica. So it's almost like I'm trading, right? So. I'm getting Pax Hispanica. I pre-ordered it, which is the new Pax game in the series of Pax Perforiana, Pax Premier, Pax Renaissance, Pax Emancipation, Pax Viking, which I have all of those. Um, Pax Hispanica is basically, you know, set in the 17th century, Pirates in the Caribbean, you know, setting up Tortuga and you know, Spanish, English, French, Dutch, Cornish, you know. So it, it's interesting. It's interesting because it's a less um, serious topic than... Pax games usually tend to be, you know, either political struggle or religious struggle or... Um, so wait, is this a new game or is this a, an old game like reinvented? Yeah, no, it's new. It's not out yet. I, I pre-ordered it. It's coming out later this year. So Interesting. Um, once I get that, I'll be sure to report back on that because <laughs> I'm excited to see how it does. And I guess it uses the Pax mechanism with the cards and stuff. Yes. Exactly. So there will be a market system. I imagine there will be triggers for various endgame conditions. To be honest with you, I didn't look that much into it. I saw packs. I saw pirates. I clicked buy. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, what I wanted to. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say is that uh, the a few days ago, my daughter Phoebe was telling me that she really enjoyed when. Three years ago, I have bought online a, a print-and-play version of uh, an RPG game, Little Wizards. And uh, it was, you know, a, a short RPG for uh, like eight years old or something like that. And she still remembers that and she wants to play again an RPG. And I was thinking now she's, she's 13, my other daughter is 11. And... I'm not sure if we should go directly to Dungeons and Dragons. What is there for teenagers in between? And I watched this shut up and sit down review about Alice is Missing, mm -hmm. which is a very nice game. It looks like a very nice game. Of course, it's not for uh, teenagers. It's for uh, adults. Uh, 
the theme is about a girl missing and probably something horrible have happened to her. Uh, but what I realized but you've is that, you've raised your kids a little twisted anyway, so that's it's, true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I realized is that there are RPGs out there that you can play in one night. Yes, many. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't know where to look at, and now uh, I'm excited about searching and uh, finding something. I have, a, I have a few of those, actually. Fiasco, I play, you play scenarios, and one night there's a Dog Eat Dog, but these are topics I don't think kids will, one, enjoy, or two, it'll be yeah. appropriate for. Dog Eat Dog is also a one-night RPG. Dialect can be considered an Doggy RPG, Dog again, sound, sounds like a teenager's uh, thing, no? No, it's about it's about imperialism <laughs> and colonialization. <laughs> it just sounds like. Yeah, it just sounds like it. There's no dogs in it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Alice is Missing. I have a story about Alice and Mrs. Missing. So uh, late last year, we decided we're going to, uh, we, me and my friends here are going to a cabin to play board games for the weekend. So we're on our way. And uh, we've stacked the car full. There's four of us in the car. We're meeting someone there. Um, the car is full of stuff. Their stuff, our stuff, food for the weekend. Of course, a ton of board games. And as we're driving, um, someone swerves into my lane. And I have to swerve a little bit to avoid them. And my right wheel, back wheel, rear wheel hits a pothole and goes flat. Um, and what? so I pull up. Yeah, I pull off to the side. And I get out of the car and, you know, I'm ready to change the tire and everything. And then for the first time since we bought our car in 2020, uh, I realized that Teslas don't come with spare tires. What? <laughs> so they don't have spare tires. You're supposed to call them and then they come and like do whatever. Oh, so they have a service. So, yes, I text them. But we're a little bit outside Toronto at this point. So I text them. And they're like, okay, no problem. We'll come tow your car to the to the service yard and give you another car. And then on Monday, you can pick up your car with a new oh, wheel. Oh, give and you I'm another like, car, not give you a tire. <laughs> yeah, here's the problem with that. The car is full of stuff and we're on our way to a cabin, right? So I'm like, yeah, that's not possible. Can we just change the tire now, put on a temporary, and then on Monday, you can come to my house and change it? And they're like, yeah, no problem. But it's going to oh, take... I, I, I thought you were going to say they, they were like, no, you cannot do that to a Tesla. You need to install a <laughs> software <laughs> to change it. So they're like, okay, no problem. Uh, we'll send someone over, but it's going to take 90 minutes to get to you. So I'm like, all right. I mean, there's no real option here, right? So um, while we're waiting for the guys, Allison is missing story, we decide, why don't we play a board game? <laughs> There's four of us, plus my dog Dali in the car. And we're like, let's play, let's play a game. But what can we play that doesn't need a table? And we start going through, oh, what about Red 7? No, no, Red 7 needs some place to play. Um, How many people because, were you? Four, four of us. Okay. And we're like, Red 7, we, we, thought, we thought about the middle pile. We're like, that's easy. But then you all have to have a tableau. So that's not that's not possible. So then I was like, oh, what can we do? What can we do? And then Chen goes, oh, I have Alice is missing. And we're like, oh, amazing. Oh, my but God. But none of us know how to play the game. So we, we load up on the Tesla screen. There's like a YouTube video <laughs> that like runs the game. So we load it up on there. And we start to set it up to playing. But then... They start talking about cards and I don't know what. And we're like, all right, 
this is not possible. But we all got super excited being like in the middle of nowhere in a broken down car about to play Alice is Missing. And it didn't work out. In the end, we just played Takinoko on Board Game Arena. And that was it. Uh, okay, <laughs> but, challenge uh, accepted. Top five games to play in a test line in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's the next one for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to what we have been playing, not what we almost played. Uh, before I just you jump in, Ipo, I know I promised everybody Frosthaven and Gloomhaven digital comparison. Uh, it's still coming. The problem is I only got one play of each in in the last month because um, life happened, kids, life, award ceremonies. I had to I had to cancel a Gloomhaven night because I had to attend a, an award. Well, digitally attend an award ceremony I was nominated for. I didn't win. And uh, <laughs> a, pod, a podcast from the award. Uh, no, uh, award what, what is that? Award nominee. Exactly. Audi Elias Award Khalil. nominee. Elias Khalil. Yeah. No, I, I was nominated, <laughs> but I did not win, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, so life got in the way. So we only got, I only got one session of each in, and I don't feel like I'm ready to do it. So hopefully next session that will be coming. So what have we actually been playing, Ipo? I have been playing Hegemony, Lead Your Class to Victory. Okay, this is a, a game that I kickstarted uh, 18 months ago. So I guess one year and a half is good for a kickstarting uh, uh, campaign to, to wait for one year and a half. For sure. Uh, it's a game by Vangelis Bayardagis and Varnavas, Varnavas Timotheu, who is an economist. Okay, Vangelis Did Bayardagis. Did you back this because they were Greek designers? Not at all. You know, I don't like Greeks. But I like this. To be honest, Vangelis Bayardagis is a guy that I met first time in Essen where he was selling kitchen rust. Remember, like, uh, that was. Five years ago. This is the guy who did Kitchen Rush? Yes. Fuck, I love Kitchen Rush, man. Yeah. I love good... Kitchen Rush. Uh, oh, and I got the game from uh, Vangelis himself. So he collaborated with an economist. The guy's an economist that I learned in like uh, London School of Economics or something. I don't know. And the game comes with a concept book where he explains how the... Uh, economic theory is depicted in this game and what were the, uh, the options and what were their choices they made fucking while designing the game. Now. What the fuck are so you I lo- book on economics? Are you fucking serious? I, I mean, I love this shit. <laughs> and it looks like there are plenty of people that love this shit. Uh, sure. I mean, I mean, I'm very excited. I suppose I, I, economic theory is a little more exciting than actual economics, though. It's uh yeah, I mean it, it doesn't go into the depths, you know. It's like okay, you know there are, there are classes like basic Marxist theory. So there it's the working class, the capitalists, and the middle class, and you are uh, oh okay. There is a class between each other, and this is an asymmetric game where each one of you is gonna play the capitalists, the working class in a two-player got game it, in a three okay in a three-player right. so, so game not, yeah yeah. So in a three-player game. The middle class comes in, and in a four-player sure. game, there is a fourth player who plays the state. Uh, oh, okay. Which is an interesting concept. I guess they they couldn't have a fourth player, and the fourth player is basically the state, where the state is kind of balancing out the other three. 
And mm. what they're trying to do is trying to gain legitimacy from each of these classes. So they need I to see. help the classes. And I guess it's better if you're the state and you're trying to win the game because it's a victory points game. Whoever gets the most victory points in the end wins the game. So I guess it's better for you if you are the state to help the the uh, player with the least points. So it sure. is also a balancing mechanism at the same time. I love uh, when a game makes me a balancing mechanism. That's a, <laughs> a nice It's, it's weird. It's yeah. weird. I played as the state in the in my last game and it was weird. Uh, but I have, but sorry, I, played, I have a quick question yeah. then. Sorry, you, you played a... I saw you, you sent pictures of you playing a five-player game. So uh, how, Yes, there was a five-player game where AK was just uh, looking at us. <laughs> For the whole time? <laughs> yeah, he, he's a hero. I think he, <laughs> That's incredible. I think he liked the game, though. And also okay. Chris was there, you know, it was a gathering after so many years we haven't seen Chris. Yeah, you and, got an actual economist to play the game with you. That's yeah, nice. and he also <laughs> have, have backed the game. And he told I me that know, his, yeah, yeah. his uh, copy is uh, already in... Waiting for his, him in Holland. Waiting yeah. for him in Netherlands, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what the first time I played the game, uh, the blame comes with some automas. It's, some, it's a deck of cards where you can play the game solo. Yeah. And it's it's very f- nice and funny at the same time. They have uh, three different Automas decks, one for each faction. So you can play any of the factions and you can play against the, cool. the Automas. Uh, so that was good. It's not, I, I won't recommend there's a solo game, but it's, it's really very nice to learn the game and see how mm-hmm. it works. And... What I loved about this game is that it really opens a discussion about these things. And I, I cannot emphasize enough how thematic it is. I mean, you are the capitalist, you are really trying to do things, you're trying to get the state uh, in your favor, you're trying to, to pass policies that are in favor, you try to minimize, to minimize the minimum wage uh, policy, you're trying to minimize the taxes, the other, uh, the other uh, factions are uh, trying the opposite. Sometimes you can take them in your side by promising them something. Sometimes you cannot. I mean, it's great. It's it was five point five hours, five and a half hours in the uh, the first two games I played. Uh, actually, the first pl- the first game I played was five and a half hours. So it was one hour of te- one hour of teaching, and uh, the rest was a three-player game. And the last time we played, I think from seven thirty up to two o'clock in the morning. Wow! So people were and really sent a picture and said the waiters were just waiting for you guys to finish up so they could close the restaurant or the cafe. Yeah, then I, I realized it's uh, also their Ramadan times because we have Ramadan here. It's uh, they close two o'clock in the morning, so oh, we, okay. we were right. we were lucky on that. Right. I thought they were closing like one o'clock and they were just waiting for us. But uh, no, apparently they, they were not so kind. Uh, what, what kind of game is it? Like, what, so, what do you, like what's, the, what's the main mechanism? So there are uh, five rounds. In uh, each round you draw from your deck and uh, these cards, they have actions that you can do. And it's okay. your choice to do one of the cards action 
or one of the basic actions. Okay. All right. So there are five, uh, you play five of your cards in each round. So in total, you're going to play five times five, 25 cards, 25 actions. Mm -hmm. And in addition to your basic actions, you can do each time one free action. So nice. basically, the capitalists are uh, making companies and they open uh, slots for uh, working class workers to come and work and get their salary uh, or middle class workers to go there and get the salary. The working mm. class is trying to get this money and gain prosperity for their people. And they're gaining prosperity by uh, consuming services like education or healthcare, or by buying luxury goods or uh, uh, what was the fourth or food? No, sorry, food. Uh, food is. I, th not, I thought you were going to say. Uh, you yeah. say the uh, the winning condition for the working class is to become the upper class. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's a that's another concept for uh, I, I guess for many other games. Uh, it's called no, the, it's it, called the American dream, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, in this game, they're just trying to. Uh, by consuming the healthcare, education, and luxury goods to gain prosperity and have uh, happy people. So, uh, as it, the designer describes it, it's not that, uh, the, it, that each class plays against the other classes, is what player plays his class in the most efficient way. Mm. Because it's an asymmetric game, so we are measuring the efficiency of your actions by victory points. So that's the idea. So, at the, so the working class is going to buy this healthcare, education, and luxury by uh, three different, uh, actually four different sources. They can buy it from the companies of the capitalist. So the capitalists will gain money from the working class gaining prosperity or from the companies of the middle class or from state-owned companies, when we talk about healthcare, maybe there are in the game uh, uh, public hospitals or uh, public mm -hmm. universities, or they can import, but that's more expensive. Okay. This is uh, really interesting. First, first, you had my attention, but now you have my interest. I, <laughs> I, I would like to try this game. And the, the best is to play the middle class because middle class, middle class is trying to do both what the capitalists and the working class are doing. Right. So they can, make, they can make some companies, but you know, small companies like bakery, where you have one middle class worker, so you are like the owner of the company, and you can hire one working class uh, helper who is going to just boost the production of your uh, company, of your shop. Mm. And at make the a, same make, time, a, make a company which is Uber driver slash crypto trader. <laughs> and at the same time, they're trying to to get to gain prosperity. But where the the game is really played is when you are you are proposing a policy, a law to pass, and there are seven different laws policies that you can choose from, and one is about taxation. You know, low, middle, or uh, there are three uh, three ranks in each of these policies. So there are low, medium, or high taxation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's free uh, middle uh, range or uh, uh, completely paid education and healthcare. Communist, so you can vote. Yeah. So if you are the capitalist, <laughs> no, you want some money 
from the working class to be paid in these uh, cases. No, but the working class no wants, wants free bastard. education <laughs> and free healthcare. When you're the state, uh, you're usually in the middle, but you're kind of like to get some money from the healthcare you are providing to the people. It, it's so it's so interconnected. I mean, the the best thing about this game is that uh, the time flows because whatever the other players are doing, you need to pay attention. It's not yeah. like a multiplayer solo where you don't really care what the other... No, it, it really affects you. <laughs> I like uh, it. I like the sound of And honestly, just from you describing it, like the number of concepts and jokes and stuff and conversation topics that came to my head, like I just made the joke about, you know, like uh, free education, healthcare being, yeah, so you know, the, this comes communist. a lot. <laughs> and then immediately my head was like, who in their right mind is opposed to f like free healthcare? <laughs> like, how is that a political opinion to be like, let's deny healthcare to people? And how do, and then just like immediately I want to start a conversation about that. Like, exactly. why do so, people so have it, that perspective? So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So, it opens to the discussion because, I mean, there, there is a huge debate about this, but. Uh, I mean, as you say, who is who is against free healthcare? So I was the state in the last game, and I was against free healthcare. <laughs> yeah, well, because it goes I, into because your I need pockets, the right? because I need the money. If I don't have enough yeah. money, and I get a loan or a couple of loans, then the IM, the IMF comes in the country, yeah. and the country yeah. gets devastated. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid that. You so just I described want... uh, my my childhood in Ghana. The IMF comes into the country, and the country gets yeah, devastated. I, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Greece, you'll be, too, I mean, you'll be declared hippic, right? Highly. You, you can notice that the the designers were Greeks, so the IMF. Comes <laughs> it's true. They just went through everything. some shit. Well, let's hope they come to Lebanon soon because it's really bad right now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it sounds awesome. I would love to um, to play that game sometime. Um, and uh, I didn't back it on Kickstarter, but maybe I can find someone who has. Um, or maybe when you come or something. But it sounds really good. Um, and the, I, think, I, think the, I think the game has not come yet to the Americas. Okay. It's funny, but I think it's the only Kickstarter that uh, arrived first in Qatar. And it's still not in uh, the US or Canada. <laughs> well, it's about time. Parity is important in social economic theory. Anyway, you know, it sounds it sounds more like socioeconomic theory, so more about the way groups of people act based on financial decisions. Exactly. When you said economic theory, I thought you were talking about like investment and stuff. So I oh, immediately yeah. lost interest. Not money, yeah, no, not about this. That sounds fucking amazing. Uh, really, really cool. So thank you. Would you would would you recommend it? I think you would based on your conversation. I think uh, for now it's like a, a nine out of ten in wow. my board game. So it's one of my top games. And uh, for the last month, I'm not playing anything else. Wow. And okay. today I was trying I was trying to uh, to arrange another game next week. Very cool. So it, very cool. It's but but again. I love this kind of shit. So if you're not in economic theory, if you don't like this, I mean, and it's a long game. I am playing it in weekdays, but it's not really a weekday game. It's like, uh, as I said, like sure. uh, six hours for uh, four players. Yeah. So yeah, so there are these uh, uh, problems that uh, they, they might be problems for your group of uh, gamers. 
And if they are, if you are that kind of person that doesn't like a long game and doesn't like socioeconomic theory as a theme, get out. <laughs> Go and play football. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're entitled to be wrong. That's completely fine. Anyway, so I also recently played a long-ass game. Uh, I got another game of Dominant Species in, and this is a Chad Jensen game from GMT from 2010. You all probably know about it. Uh, art was done by, uh, it's GMT, who cares? Um, anyway, so I, I don't know if you remember this game, Epo, of course you've played it multiple times, but we haven't played it since that game we played at our house in Qatar, where Dima almost flipped the, the board on me, remember Me that? neither. <laughs> well yeah i left but well no we, we did play dominant species marine online if you oh, remember yeah. yeah anyway um so i don't it's a very heavy game so i don't want to go into too much detail but basically there's like a a, 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 a sort of a display of, of possible actions you kind of do worker placement you're kind of action drafting more than anything i was and i was gonna say you just said you're not gonna play more worker placement games I didn't. I didn't. I said I get tired of worker placement games, but oh, so that was this the game last is, one. It, it's not like that. It's not like you play something, get two coins. Everything you do, there's no, I mean, it's just telling you what you're going to be doing on the main board, but what you actually do, it's still your decision. So I wouldn't call it a worker placement game. I'd say you're drafting actions to do two forms of area control. Basically, the main concept of the game is there's two kinds of control. There's having majority control, which is just having the most species in an area, versus being dominant, which is having the being adapted to the area you're in the best. So having the most adaptation multiplied by abundance, it, whatever. Just basically being, this food source is present here. Well, I eat that food source the most, so I'm going to be most dominant here. Um, it's a wonderful game. It's a mean as all get out. Um, I'm sure we've talked about it in the past. We don't need to go too much into it. Basically, we played a four-player game. It was supposed to be five, but we had a last-minute pullout. And everyone had learned the game, so we are like, all right, let's do it. So we randomized the pieces, and we ended up playing with no arachnids or insects, which is the first time I've played without those two, um, especially insects, because they tend to populate the board a lot. So it was interesting not having as many species as usual on the board. Like, nobody ran out of species from their gene pool. Um, it was the first time I've seen in this game, so part of what happens is it's, there's an ice age occurring, but you do have some control over the direction that the glaciation occurs in. And it's pretty, it can be pretty devastating if it comes at the wrong time. And it's, it's the slowest action in the game. It's the only action that there's only one happening of every round of the game. And it was amazing because you could, you, you, you place tokens, you place action pawns uh, to, to basically take future turns of when glaciation is up. So you know who's going to control glaciation as time goes by. And it's the first time I've ever seen glaciation being used as a negotiation tactic in this game. Wow. So we basically just said, well, as you can see, in two turns, I'll be controlling glaciation. So uh, maybe you don't go in my direction because retribution will be swift and terrible. So it's like kind of being like, if you don't glaciate this way, I won't glaciate this way. And it was very interesting because there was a ton of negotiation happening in this game, which I've played the game a bunch and I've never had real negotiation happen. So yeah. uh, I've, I've had pleading and <laughs> people being like, why are you attacking me? Attack him instead. But 
um, there was no there was negotiation this time, which is very interesting. It's so um, interesting how different groups have different experiences with the same game. Completely, completely. <laughs> and so, so the main question I guess you all want to ask is, did Dima flip the table this time? And the answer is no, she didn't, and she had a great time. So uh, she's mature. Because we know that person. Dima is, is this kind of person that flips the table every time. She literally <laughs> threatened to flip the table last. <laughs> I don't remember flipping the table. I... No, no, she didn't flip, but she was like, she put her hand on the board and she was like, I'm going to wipe this board. And I was like, what the fuck? We've been playing for four hours. Anyway, and another interesting thing on that topic of having like different people impact games differently. Uh, so the guy I was talking about last time that wins all the games, uh, Chang, he was playing and he won. Um, but uh, it's the first time I've seen several things happen. One, he ran out of domination cones. Like, I have never seen... <laughs> like, wow. I've seen people run out of species because your species die and they don't go back into your gene pool. But he ran out, of, he was so dominant we had no more tokens for him to mark how dominant he was on the world map. And literally on the, on the bonus board, when you're scoring domination at the end, it just goes nine plus he had 11. So like he, he went past the nine. So he only scored for nine or higher. So I've never seen that happen. Did he but win? Part of the, yeah. <laughs> but part of the reason that he was happened, the dominant species. Well, obviously, part of the reason that he, the domination thing happened is it's also the first time I've seen some bit of luck affect the game. He, I think he would have won in either case, but he started as the amphibians, and the amphibians have kind of the lamest power. They start with three water adaptation tokens, so they're very good at surviving in water. Um, but usually people get a couple more tokens early in the game, and they'll take away your advantage. The problem is, in the entire game, which I think was five or six rounds, no water elements showed up in either the adaptation or the abundance boxes when we were pulling. So therefore, there was nothing in wasteland and there was nothing in depletion, which means nobody could adapt to be dominant in water and nobody could remove water from the board to reduce his domination. So he was just discovering uh. with Wonderlust and pulling water tokens and then being able to survive there and nobody else could really survive there as dominant as he could. So it's the first time that I've seen the luck of the pull of the draw play an effect on the game, um, which is very interesting. I, I, I wouldn't say it was a luck game. Like there was probably still a lot we could do that we just didn't know what to do, but it was very interesting. <laughs> and another thing, so, you know, this is going to be a consistent story here. It was the first time Cheng plays the game and he didn't just get the highest score. He got the top score that anyone has ever got in our games of dominant species. He destroyed the highest score ever by like 30 points, uh, which was you, Ippo. And it's wow. the same thing that he did with 1846. Is The first time we played 1846, he'd never played an 18xx game ever. And then he beat our highest score, which I think was, again, you, Ippo, by like seven, by like almost a thousand dollars, like seven hundred to a thousand dollars. Like the guy is another level <laughs> altogether. The guy is the um, dominant species in every game, not just in dominant species. <laughs> That's right, he is. He's the he's the dominant he's the dominant uh, railroad baron and the dominant species. So 
So I, I loved it. I had a great time. You all know Drama Species is definitely in my top 15. It's an incredible game. It was nice. It was mean, but nobody took things personally. Um, and the game itself is just kind of cruel, you know? Um, and even though a bit of luck showed up, I think for next time I'm going to be more aware of, you know, if the first couple rounds go by and, and cer certain tokens are missing from the game, to be more aggressive on, say, Wonderlust, which is exploring new tiles, so that I can make sure to steal the elements that help somebody else. Like, I've never had to to think about it that way, because usually you can adapt to exist and to survive in their areas, or you can remove those from the board through um, uh, depletion or wasteland. So there was, there was um, a new element that I discovered to the game this time uh, that the wow. luck element brought out. So I really had a great time. It was really fun. I came in second. I got my highest score ever and then lost by like 60 points. So... <laughs> Point. It was bad. He almost lapped the person who came in fourth around the board. Like the board is a hundred point um, yeah. thing, and he almost lapped somebody, which means he almost had a hundred points more than the last place person. Um, we had a great time. We, we took a break in the middle, went and had uh, lunch at this uh, Hong Kong street food place next to my house, and oh. we just made a day of it and had a great time. So. Uh, I will constantly recommend Dominant Species. Not if you're, but if you're too sensitive about a game being mean, maybe give this one a miss. But if you're okay with the fact that the game doesn't hold your hand, um, Dominant Species will always be a game I recommend. Uh, you said it, it's in your top 15. I, I think I have said before that it's in my top three. And uh, at some point, or at some point, we had this. Uh, uh, top three games for a three game collection and I included it and uh, I said that if I had just one game that I, I should play every day for the rest of uh, my life it should be Dominant Species that's right <laughs> you had you had John Company Age of Steam and Dominant Species good picks really okay I don't remember yeah, that okay. I, I had a, I had it in my top 10 Dominant Species but it just got knocked out like a like a year ago by the great Zimbabwe. So I would say it's like 11 or 12. Like when I see top 15, it's just because I didn't know. It's somewhere, like it's one of my favorite games ever. So um, yeah, highly recommend. And uh, I don't know about it being one of only three games in your collection because um, again, sometimes you don't, you don't want the game to, to like kick you in your ass the whole time. <laughs> You know, but uh, yeah, but it's it's excellent, and uh, I had a great time getting my ass kicked by both the game and Cheng, the dominant species. <laughs> by the way, uh, you you reminded me now that you said that the first uh, had the double the points of the last. This is exactly what happened in our four-player hegemony game with uh, Diego as the middle class ending up with one hundred and two points, and Basel as the capitalist. He ended up with fifty-one. Oh, shit. But, yeah, but they had this uh, kind of agreement, Diego and Chris, where the middle class and the working class were not buying anything from the capitalists. They were like, the, their, their, uh, for the capitalists, the only way out were to export their uh, goods. So they were even exporting to for, for very cheap, you know, 
and they couldn't so make what real you're, money. What you're saying is we figured out that if the middle class and the working class work together, we can topple exactly. the capitalists. All right, no. But but it, yeah, but at the end they cannot both win. So just the middle class won. So this is uh, also mm. a lesson for as uh, usual the working class revolutionaries. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, one more game that uh, I played. Uh, it's a game that uh, it's funny. I checked out and we play. We're playing this game once every year for the last four years. And this is Oath, <laughs> Chronicles of Empire and Exile from Cold Worldly. I think we have talked about this game before. I'm not sure if we did. I mean, uh, sure. we have a, uh, actually the the owner of the game is inviting uh, you know another five people and we play a six player game which is the maximum you can play with this game it's a it's a call of world game that reminds a little uh, of root it's not really um, it's not really uh, an asymmetric game so its player uh, might be uh, different things like the king one of the players is the king of, the, of a kingdom. And uh, another player might be a citizen, so in the side of the king. And the rest are against, the, they are the rebels, they are against the, the status quo. And uh, I have only played this game as a six-player game. So this is, a, uh, you know, uh, something I need to say because the game might play differently with four or five yeah. players. And it, it looks I w- like... I was going to say, it's 70% not recommended. It's Exactly. On, exactly. On BGG. Okay. And I'm gonna, ima- I'm gonna uh, say that I can assume why they're not recommending it with six players, because in my experience, there was a lot of king making in this game where I was the king, and uh, I knew that there was another player that could win in the same round. And I did nothing to stop that because I knew that there were four more plays that they could do something to stop the the winner. So that's that's a very weird concept for a game. But I guess this only happens in a six-player game. So basically, the game is a is a story-making game. At least this is what the designer said that he was trying to do. It uses locations and. Uh, uh, certain cards where the cards in the locations could be uh, monsters or residents and you can use these locations and uh, cards to make actions. Uh, you can make money, you can gain secrets. Secrets is the second uh, currency of the game. Uh, they have a, uh, The game has a very smart uh, economy system where you can get money from uh, five different currencies so you might find a source of money, but it's gonna be depleted soon because they're like uh, from its uh, currency there are like I don't know five or six or seven coins or something like that. So then you need to find another source. You cannot just make money from the same source uh, to infinity. Uh, and secrets is another currency uh, where. Uh, in a storytelling uh, way, the the game tells you that uh, you know you're you're uh, learning secrets from the uh, people's from the kingdom's people, and you can use them as currency, which is something very nice and thematic, I think, in this game. 
Uh, it's a, f- a game in a fantasy game uh, based in a fantasy world. And the problem, I think, or the the some people say the the nice thing about this game is the winning condition. Uh, I don't know how can I. I mean, you can see that this guy have worked before for uh, Phil Eklund and uh, you know all <laughs> these uh, complicated winning mechanisms. So in Oath, in this order is the designer to... of John Company and Root, right? And Ex- exactly. Premier. Yeah. So. In order to win this game, you need to be the Oath Keeper. The Oath Keeper uh, uh, could be uh, a different person in the beginning. Uh, usually it's the King. Uh, if the King is the Oath Keeper in the end of the fourth round, he rolls a dice and if it's a six, he wins the game. Otherwise, the game goes on for the fifth round and then he needs to roll a five or a six. Otherwise, it keeps on for the fifth round and then it's the end of the game. Uh, but if the king wins and at the same time a citizen has the darkest secret, which is a, a special card in the game, then the citizen wins instead of the king. Yeah, this is but, already making my head hurt. Yeah. No, wait, wait, that, that's just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should stop. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Because if a rebel is the oath keeper, then she needs to maintain oh the God. condition for a full round. Uh, but as I said, that never happened in my six-player games because somebody uh, is, I mean, somebody will try to stop you and it's usually easy if two people are against you in a war game like this, uh, they can stop you. Uh, it reminds me of fruit in the way that the battles are resolved. Where you 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 know you roll some dice, but it's not really uh, very important the uh, the numbers. It's basically uh, the right moment to to decide when you want to do the battle. And the first time I played this game, I remember a friend of mine, Noel, uh, won. And when he when the game finished after you know we were playing like five or six hours, he said that. The game is so random that it's not a game and he doesn't <laughs> want to play this game again. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, he, he, he made these harsh comments about the game and uh, the, the game, you know, is trying to, to create a story and a legacy. So the winner needs to write in a book uh, in the game the story of what happened in this game and what happened in this game uh, becomes the setup for the next game. Mm. Which is very nice. I mean, the, you keep the locations that you used and some, you know, uh, you add uh, some cards and you, you're using the same deck of cards that you used in the previous game, but you add some. So it's not Do a completely the same new, players? new deck. You don't need the same players, no. Okay, that's good. That's good because, yeah, you cannot do that. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, that sounds nice in concept, but getting the same six players again consistently. No, yeah. but you you have the feeling of, uh, you know, uh, continuity uh, where before starting the new game, you are reading uh, what the king wrote in the previous game. So, and this gives you, you know, the, the feeling, the setup for the for the new game. Totally. So, so what, so it has this legacy aspect. 
Uh, so what I'm feeling about this game is that we're playing it wrong. We have the, the wrong mentality. We're just trying to win the game. Mm. I feel that this game is basically an RPG. So it's, like we talked about with John Company, like if you see it as a role-playing game, then certain aspects of the game feel better, right? Whereas if you're just trying to win or kingmake or whatever it is, you're sort of taking away from the beauty of the game. Man, I just realized that you put the seeds of this thought in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> because you said this about Joe Comer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so maybe that's just a good way to approach his games in general. <laughs> I, I am not sure. I, I mean, mean, Pax Premier, Pax Premier doesn't have that at all. So I, don't I mean, I'm enjoying John Combat, even if even if I play as the as the you know the the dry person that just tries to win the game. I'm sure. That's true. I'm not feeling the same with Oath. I, I feel Oath. You need to perceive the game from this uh, RPG aspect. Uh, at least again, I'm gonna uh, say it uh, again that uh, I'm talking about a six-player game. Sure. Maybe for a, a smaller count, it's gonna be completely different. But this is my take. Yeah. And um, uh, since I since I had this uh, thought, I'm now excited to play the game again and see okay. how that will work. Very cool. So, I've never tried so, it. Um, but it, it does seem interesting. Uh, you know, I liked Root well enough. My, my The exhausting thing for Root for me was, you know, having to teach it. So, like, if uh, if everyone came prepared, it's a, it's a much better game. But it, it was never, like, a top game for me. I, I traded you my, my copy, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, Oath would look good. I think it was on my on my list for a minute of things I wanted. But in the end, I just kind of decided against it. Um, it's not so asymmetric as Root. Is uh, the basic problem with teaching this game is the winning conditions. I mean, I feel that when I was describing the winning conditions, I probably have made like a couple of mistakes even now. <laughs> and and <laughs> my eyes the... glazed over and rolled backwards into my head while you were <laughs> doing that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not yeah. sure if I if I described the winning conditions correctly even now, having played the game okay. four times. Okay. So that was Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, I, I also recently played a game that I think you've played as well. I played uh, Heat, Pedal to the Metal. Um, now that Formula One has ah. been up and running for the last uh, couple of months, we've been excited about racing, so we got Heat to the table. It's a game by Asker Harding Granerud and Daniel Skold Pedersen. From Days of Wonder, 2022, gorgeous art by Vincent Dutre, as usual. Hey, when is um, the Canadian Grand Prix? Canadian? I'm not sure. I know Baku is in like two weeks. but uh, There's only one in Montreal, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll check. I'll check. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> anyway, no, I, uh, I it's, meant much more, may, it's maybe way better was... to watch Formula One on TV than to go. <laughs> or, or just play hit. Or just play Heat, yeah. Which might tell you my thoughts on it, by the way. Um, so it's, it's a racing game, uh, but the game is really at its core management of like overheating your engine when you want to push things, when you don't want to push things. Uh, we played a championship. Um, we played the 1961 oh, nice. championship. 
Um, and uh, so that means it had all the features of the game, which is setting up your car, uh, sponsorships, press corner, all that stuff, other than the AI drivers. We didn't use any of the AI drivers. Um, and yeah, it was we, we played the we played the championship. You know, we we had press corner uh, where like one of the corners is where all the press are hanging out. So if something spectacular happens there, you get more sponsorships. So whenever anyone would do something spectacular through that corner, we'd play uh, on YouTube the sounds of like paparazzi camera noises, like <laughs> taking pictures of that corner. Um, basically, we just ended up doing a ton of Formula One jokes like through most of the game. You know, like in the first, in the first, um, First first race, I was in pole position. I didn't realize how aggressive people were going to be coming off the line. So I just immediately fell into last position. And I was like, it's all right. I'm going to pull a Checo. I'm going to go from last to first, you know. Uh, you know, lots of jokes of like Gunther Steiner calling Gene Haas and being like, oh, we look like a bunch of wankers, you know. Peter <laughs> Gasly... The only racer that can make a Red Bull look like an Alpha Tori and an Alpha Tori look like a Red Bull. Anyway, but the, my favorite thing that everyone just kept saying over and over again was they'd be staring at their hands for a while, and this includes me, and then just look up and be like, fuck it. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and, and many times the worst things did happen. Like, you, you need to not pull a four, and you pull a four, right? But... You know, so there's a there's a bit of a, a luck, uh, a push your luck element to the game. So you take on stress. And when you take on stress, that means when you play a stress card, you're pulling cards out of the deck. So you don't know what you're going to get. You can guess based on what you've already played out of your deck, but you can't really know for sure. And the amazing thing about it is a lot of times people spun out or, um, you know, had to pay a bunch of heat because they went through a corner too fast. But it never truly made anyone upset. And this got me thinking about this luck system versus the luck system we were talking about in the last episode with John Company, where you roll dice and why that makes me so upset, but this one doesn't. And I think it's because you get to choose when to push your luck, right? Like it gives you agency. If you want to, you could play the whole game super uh, safe and just never push your luck and you'll make it to the end, but you won't win because that's not what racing is. Racing is about trying. What did Senna say? Wow. Uh, if you that's see a, a gap, and you no longer point. take it. So, so it felt like racing because like at one point I, we, th this horrible corner, which only had a speed of three, got a minus one condition. So it means you could only have a speed of two going through it and it was coming off a straight. So it was a horrible corner. And I was first, and the way that it lined up, Chang just so happened to get pull, uh, get um, what's it called, slipstream from behind me, and managed to cross the corner, only paying like one heat. So he was basically like a whole turn ahead of us, right? So when we finally got through the corner, I just had to give everything, you know, and I chose to push my luck and say like, if I crash, I crash. Like if I spin out, I spin out. But like, I'm going for the win. You know what I mean? Um, that's a that's a very good point. But may I argue in favor of my friend Cole Worley here, and say that you can do the same in John Company. That's not and true. Go Everything go requires dice rolling. Yeah, you know, but you can go I very did. safe. I did. I, I went and paid a, a bunch of money of to get army? to. 
Well, I, I, in Junk Company, I went safe. I paid a bunch of money, got six dice to roll, needing a single one or two, and failed, right? That's how you go safe. There's always a possibility of failure. In this game, you can exclude the possibility of failure. If you just play cards that are to the right speed, you can choose basically never to have anything happen to you, but you'll lose. You'll always lose. So you have to take risks. It's the whole Senna thing. If you see a gap and you no longer go for it, you're no longer a race driver, right? So you got to go for the gaps and push your luck when you want to. But it gives you agency. It allows you to say, I'm choosing now potentially to fuck up, right? And that's great. When a game lets you choose when you want to have luck affect it, that gives you more agency. The one criticism I have of this game is there's no crashing. There's only spinning out. It's good in the sense that you can't be eliminated from the game, so there's no player elimination, but bad in the sense that that is a part of racing, right? So maybe they could have implemented it in some way, some sort of effect without removing you from the game. Interesting. Um, maybe having two racers or something, so it's like a Formula One team or whatever. Um, and that's the thing, because because it was so much like Formula One, I felt I was missing the crashes because they had all these little nods. Like, for example, Dima was like the yellow uh, race car. And, you know, she was like, oh, Renault, I'm Renault. Who's yellow? I'm like, Renault. She's like, I'm Renault, right? But then we looked at the number on the car and it was 14, which is Fernando Alonso's number, who won his two oh. championships with Renault. It's probably coincidental considering this is like set in the 1960s, but, you know, whatever, <laughs> it's fun. And that's what I took away from the game. Is it, it felt like racing, like the idea of choosing when to push your luck, uh, using other cars to get through slow corners and slipstreaming. And of course, when you pass a car with an awesome move and you're moving your car, you go vroom! And then <laughs> it felt like racing, you know? You know, um, the guys yeah. use this very nice mechanism of uh, theirs from Plum Rouge, the... Yes the bicycle game in this and they really did an yeah. excellent job i mean i i love this game i feel i believe this is the best racing game out there right now that was my question for you so i know you've played we both played grand prix the gmt game and you played a bunch of rallyman gt online when covid first happened and we were playing games online so i wanted to ask for your comparison between those and maybe even flam rouge because i've i've played grand prix but this is way better than grand prix like it, it's just faster but it's meaty enough to give you good decisions. Yeah, exactly. Grand Prix is way way heavier, but it it didn't. It's slow and sluggish. Like this game is fast, feels like racing. So I really yeah, like the, that. The what, do you, with, what do you uh, think? I think that, that the the main mechanism that makes the difference is that uh, they simultaneously play. So yes, that yes. that makes the game so fast, and at the same time, this is what you need from a racing game. You need a lot of players. You cannot play a three-player game with uh, of racing. So when it's you true. have six, five or six players and uh, they all need to play, if they need to play their own turn, then the game drags forever. As as Ipo was saying, like the first two phases basically select your gear, which lets you know how many cards you can play, and then selecting those cards from your hand. You all do that at the same time, and then of course you you move your cards one at a time on the board. But And there's like two mandatory steps, which are basically move your car, refill your hand. And there's a bunch of like um, optional steps in between that might apply or might not apply. You might get adrenaline because you're in last place. You might, uh, you might um, push your car a little more, which 
increases the risk factor. You might uh, get a slipstream to get through corners. And so it it just felt like a racing game. And I remember when we played like an eight-player game, a Grand Prix at your place a few years ago, it took the whole day. <laughs> like took yes, exactly. Yeah, day. I have played. Yeah, and I have played uh, uh, tournament uh, racing games. I have played Formula D, Grand Prix, yeah. uh, and many others. And they always take Rallyman. Uh, days. They take you days. You played Rallyman GT though, right? That's the one I wanted yes. you to compare it to because that one is fast as well. So I was wondering which is the better game in your opinion. Rallyman GT, I played a lot in Board Game Arena. I have never played the physical uh, copy. Mm. Uh, Rallyman GT, I think, comes second. Okay. Might be the, the second best game out there. Uh, yeah. And and there is a new expansion that I have not played. And uh, Rallyman it's GT. It's a base game to base game. Yeah. I, I, I would rather not compare it just because I have not played the physical game. So I don't know how much time it takes, what exactly is the like, have... To like fiddle with the dice and yes. move them all the way around. Yes, I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's good enough. But yeah. uh, and comparing with uh, the Flam Rouge, Flam Rouge is the basic mechanisms, uh, mechanism of having, you know, the deck and drawing the, uh, the numbers out of the, the deck. And they really adjusted amazingly the mechanism to a, a Grand Prix uh, Formula One racing game. They but I really, really have done a the, great job. I really love the aspect of managing the heat in your engine, right? Like if you push your car, the heat goes out of your engine into your discard, which eventually shows up in your hand and it clogs up your hand. So you need to shift down to lower gears so you can cool down your your and put the heat back into your engine. And initially when I started, I thought of heat as a bad thing. But heat is a good thing because you want <laughs> exactly. to have enough heat to be able to get through the corners, but you need them in your engine, not in your hand. So um, really... And not too much heat. Game. And not too much heat, yeah. Really an excellent game. I didn't think I'd like it. You know, it's Days of Wonder and stuff. That's never been my favorite sort of thing, but genuinely had an amazing day. Maybe it's because we've been excited about Formula One and we've been playing Fantasy Formula One, but, um, you know that that might be the reason like i think it was definitely elevated by the fact that it was with a lot of people from my fantasy formula one group but all in all lovely game highly recommend i i have to to, to be honest there was one guy that didn't enjoy the the hit game i remember when we played the tournament he was telling me that these three to one thing that we were doing to play the card all together he found that that it was too fast for him he wanted some time to think and what three to one thing to play a card yeah we, we did this in because you know we were playing a tournament and this will take forever uh, oh my god and we said okay are, no, are you ready is everybody ready let's play your let's play just play your card so but you're only supposed the... to reveal it in turn order you don't have to reveal it all together i guess you're playing it face down yes okay. Yeah, we're playing face. I mean, but that, that's not part of the game. We just did it, you know. No, you guys, uh, you guys uh, fucked up the game a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this guy, this this friend of mine, Tony, he said that no, I don't like this. I don't. I, I felt a pressure the whole time, and I said, "Yeah, we ruined the game for you." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't do that, but uh, I mean, it can happen. But to be but to be honest with you, like we did run a little long at some moments, you know. Sometimes people take a long time to make decisions. So I understand why you would you would do that, um, but you know I'd love to play like 
all through all the campaigns and uh, all the uh, championships. Oh, I would and, love that. Uh, I'd also like to do the mode where you do all the championships together as a campaign, like to be like the greatest driver. Ah, it's so good. I, I, I can't, don't ruin the game for people by putting a time limit. Just have a bit of patience. Yes. If they take too long, threaten them with a permanent ban from your group. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if they, if they wait game. too long, just go and play chess, guys. <laughs> anyway, speaking of going through corners, uh, uh, <laughs> oh my god, it's time for the Hippocratic <laughs> Corner. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say something like, uh, we need uh, some uh, fillers to fill the gaps in the corners or something. No, it was way more <laughs> obvious than that. Speaking of corners, it's time for the Hippocratic <laughs> Corner. Guys, welcome to another Hippocratic Corner, where we're going to discuss a top five of our favorite games. The theme of this top five is top five filler games. And when we say filler games... It was games, so hard. It was for so hard. sure, we're not going to describe what a filler game is, because that's part of the task that the, the hosts have to do. Uh, it was so hard. It was so, so hard. tell me, what, what were your criteria on uh, what is a filler for you? I just want to point out that first, I was only able to narrow it down to about 13 games. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. And L let me clarify that we have decided the only thing that we have in common is that there should be games played in less than an hour. Yes. Okay, so um, this was... So was uh, I yeah, I, I used that criteria. So I had to keep adding criteria until I could narrow it down. <laughs> and then I only got to about nine, but I, I just ordered them and picked my top five. And I tore off the Band-Aid and that's it. So obviously the first one being less than an hour, right? But also there are games that are less than an hour, but they feel very heavy, right? Like you can play a two-player game of Pax Renaissance in less than an hour, but I wouldn't call it a filler, right? Um or like Roll for the Galaxy or even Ginkopolis can be played in an hour as per BGG. I don't know. Uh, Roll for the Galaxy for sure, but still I felt like it's a meaty enough game, you know? Um, the other thing is it should actually be less than 60 minutes, not as per BGG. So oh, like I had games like nice. Galaxy Trucker, Tobago. Th these games take over an hour and BGG says it takes under an hour, so I had to remove those. But also I don't want it to be a party game. Like I had to exclude party games because games like Decrypto, Spyfall, The Mind, ugh, The Mind was a stretch. I really wanted to include it. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's too simple. So I wanted somewhere between those two complexities, not a party game that's kind of mindless, but not a heavy game that really takes up your mind. Um, I also excluded two-player games and solo games because I had to cut it down. So I was like, those are their own categories, you know? Like, we're not going to have two-player games or solo. Uh, so like Oniram or Santorini, I had to remove those. Um, so the last criteria I did to finally get my top five was it cannot be a game that I invite someone over to play. If I invite someone oh. over to play that game... It's not the right, it's not a filler. So that's that's where I ended up with the criteria. What about you? So we have almost, uh, we have a lot of common criteria. Uh, as you said, for me, the the uh, 
the context of a filler game is that uh, maybe we're waiting one more player to play the main game for the night. Uh, so it shouldn't be a party game. It's like the three of us or the four of us waiting for the fifth or the, or the fourth player to play something. So, so it shouldn't be a party game. It shouldn't be a six or seven player game. Uh, it should be, as you said, uh, less than 60 minutes according to the BGG. I made it maximum 50 minutes according to Board Game Geek. Uh, nice. And I, I was close to say that I wanted to be less than an hour with teaching time. Ooh, but, nice. but because teaching time is not really uh, objective, I, I mean, playing time is also not objective, but let's say it is according to Board Game Geek. Uh, so I excluded the teaching time in the 15 minutes, but I considered the, the teaching time in the ranking of my games. I will say all of mine would be under an hour with teaching time. So, uh, so that's a, I, so I that's accident. A good thing. I accidentally followed your at least my top five, not my honorable mentions. So, so I was going to say that the mind fulfills my criteria because it's not it's not a party. It's a four player game that you can play while waiting for somebody to come or something like that. The only right? reason it fails my criteria is it falls into not a party game. I don't think it's a party game, but it's a party game level in terms of. There's oh, not a lot you of want to be more involved. meaty, okay. Yeah, so I was like somewhere between the lightness of a party game and the heaviness of like a real game, right? So okay. that's where. What was your you honorable want... mention? I'm sure you. I'm sure you had one. <laughs> it's so funny because I do have an honorable mention, but I was not. I was going not not to mention my honorable mention. <laughs> Because I know that I feel like, I this feel is like a joke now. At this point, yeah, it's a, <laughs> because, it's a meme at this point. Yeah, what's yeah your, what's it's your a joke now. So, so uh, it's funny because I, I was, it was not in my intentions to mention this game. Anyway, it's Regicide. Have you played that? I've never played that. No, you mentioned it last episode. Uh, but yeah, that sounded, a, it sounded like, yeah, I've never heard of it. It's a cooperative game. Uh, you can play it with a regular deck of cards, and there is an app. In the uh, in the phone that you can uh, use to count uh, points, uh, it's a very nice game that you can teach. Uh, uh, really no, thank you. Fast. I'm, I'm, I'm too good to play games that use apps. Please, what are you talking? It's about? not. It doesn't I am above use that. the app for any that other is reason. Beneath me. Wait, it doesn't use the app for any other reason than to count the points. So if you have, People, I'm kidding. I I don't give a shit. You can use as much technology as you want. I'm really? Not, I'm I'm not a curmudgeon. Uh, I am against uh, the using apps in board games. Yeah, to be honest. but you're really old, which is probably why. That's, tr that's so. true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, but maybe after eighty years you will be like me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay. The maybe what's being your, important. What's your I had four. I had four. four I had four well, I had four honorable mentions, but I'm not going to mention them. <laughs> no, no, tell. So, okay, you're going to tell. After the top five, you're going to tell us the honorable mentions. All right, fine. After my top five. Or probably when you mention them, I'll tell you it's been in my honorable mentions. Oh, okay. All right. N number five. Red Seven was my number five, which is a game oh. by Carl Chudik. Uh, I mentioned it briefly when we were we had that flat tire on the way to the 
Uh, anyway, we didn't end up playing it. So Red 7 is a very interesting game. Basically, the, the, the only rule of the game is if you're not winning at the end of your turn, you're out of the round. And uh, to win, you either have to meet uh, the criteria that's set in the middle of the board, like whatever the winning condition is, you either have to meet that criteria or change the rules so that you meet that new criteria as the winner. And it's a very interesting concept because um, it twists your head in a different way. Like every, you have to manipulate it somehow to always be in your favor. And as you play more with people that know the game, you tend to like, uh, want to like, uh, you change the way you approach. You start looking at long, long term. So what am I going to have in my hand over the course of this round, as opposed to just how can I win? Then also, after I win this round, what cards are going to be now removed from the game and be part of the scoring cards? That becomes part of the strategy. But it's easily played and taught together under an hour. You can play four people. Great game to play after another game. It uses your mind, but it doesn't break your head. And uh, I highly recommend Red 7. What do you think? It's a, real, it's a really very good option, I think. It's a, a very nice abstract game. Uh, I'm in the edge of liking it or finding it, you know, intermediate. But uh, sure. it, it's a really good option as a filler, really. I, I agree on that. What's your number five? So going to my number five, I want to give this disclaimer that my number five and number four, I think they don't meet your criteria because I can totally see myself inviting friends at my house just to play these games. So, sure. <laughs> uh, so this game is a Vlada Kvadvils game that according to Board Game Gig is a 30 minutes game. It's a co-op that could be played with... Uh, four or five players, and it's Space Alert. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> so that's the Space Alert and Kitchen Rush are the reason I had to add the criteria of, um, of should not be somebody you invite to play the game. Because oh God, I couldn't really? remove them from, yeah, I had Kitchen Rush and Space Alert, and I was like, I can't, give two of my five to both because they would both be in my top five. So I had to put that criteria in order to exclude them. So that was no very, argument for me. Yeah, that was a great way out for, for you to get rid of Space Alert of this top five. I couldn't. I love it. Uh, the only reason that is uh, number five is, as I said before, because I considered for uh, ranking purposes the teaching time and you need, if, sure. if the other people don't know the game, it's not a failure anymore. You need to choose sure. them game. Uh, but if the other people know the game, it's a it's the greatest... Uh, uh, how do we call these games? Live uh, action? Real time. Real time. Real time. Uh, yeah. Yes, real time. I will, say, I will say it's another one of those that half the people we play with really hate this game. Like, it, it's, wow. like it's like when... I, it's like studying Emerald and... Uh, tramways like half of us adore them and half of us hate them so if you remember me you and dima love um space alert but uh ricardo hates it hamad hates it um uh lena i don't know i think she was just more annoyed with you because when you play space alert with ipo he you all agree on something and then he just does his own thing yes he wanted to win that's the problem you don't you don't need to win this game. you just enjoy the ride 
So the pro- the thing of this game is you're tr- it's like there's a there's like a soundtrack playing you're getting under attack your ship is falling apart and you need to like keep things together and so you're like you're planning like okay Ipo you grab the battery and meet me at the elevator I'll take the battery take it down and put it into the shield and like you've made this whole plan so you've done your part you've gone up the elevator and then Ipo's just gone in the other direction <laughs> okay but that's and then not you your purpose because it's a programming game, and that's what I think makes it the best, like such a good game, yeah. is the fact that you've you've programmed this in. You've gone up the elevator, and you're waiting to collect Man. it and go back down, but Man. then Ipo never shows up. So. No, no, it's, it's because I suck in real-time games. That's why I never played <laughs> video games. I mean, the only I only play turn-based video games like Civilization. I don't play World of Warcraft. <laughs> But it's still in your top five because you like the chaos of it, right? That's the, Yes, uh, because I don't mind yeah. losing when I play with friends yeah. because it's so funny what's happening. As you said, because you, I, we, but I, we discussed meet me in the elevator. Where are you? And yeah. the aliens are coming and they're shooting at us. And you have this deck of cards and you need to, uh, you need to place, uh, I think, 10 cards one next to the other. So that's your actions for the round. And we all reveal it yeah. the same time afterward. I mean, it's it's uh, such a great design. So that's if my, I if I if, if I had to if I had to include those, uh, they would be my three and four: Kitchen Russian and Space Alert. Like I, oh, I really okay. love them, but I'm, I'm but the, they're again, out again. Yeah. They're only it's only number five because I'm considered the the teaching time, and it's uh, Space Alert, number five. Number four, my number four is Parade, um, which is a game no. I talked about talked about a bunch. So Parade, I love Parade. So Parade is this, like, it's set in, like, Alice in Wonderland. You have a parade happening, and then basically you're playing cards, or, which are characters, to the back of the parade. And when you add them to the back of the parade, you end up collecting a certain number of cards based on certain conditions. And you want to have the least points possible and the cards you collect are positive points and you don't want positive points i just keep thinking of this game when we were uh at our at the uh, cabin the, the the owner of the cabin was this pretty creepy dude <laughs> that like, showed up at our cabin at like one in the morning when we were playing an 18xx game banged on the door when we opened the door he's like why are you locking the door and we're like so weirdos like you don't show up at one in the morning anyway um he came over and stood over my shoulder like a weirdo. Uh, and while we were playing Parade, and he goes, you know, I once played a game of Parade where I got zero points. <laughs> and so now, every time we play Parade and somebody takes a card, we're like, oh, you need to go talk to Steven so he can teach you how to be good at Parade. Anyway, the it's an amazing game. The guy had played Parades. Oh, no, no, he's a board gamer. So he he hosts really? the, the board game thing, the whole cabin site. All the cabins are rented out to board gamers, and we all play board games together. That's how it works. Um, but in his in the main house, they have several tables where you can go and meet and play. But, um, you know, the last time we played it, I started so poorly. Like, I got no big cards, no, like, eight, nines, or tens. So everybody was just skipping the whole parade, and I was not. And so I ended up collecting a whole bunch. And then somehow I ended up winning the games because, like, there was kind of a twist and everything, and I was complaining. Maybe people felt sorry for me. So at the end of it, Carol, Carol was, like, was like, oh, he's going to complain the whole time and then win the game. <laughs> Typical so like, Elias. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we had a great time. I always have a good time with Parade. 
Uh, I know you probably don't like it as much as I did. It was between Parade and Arboretum for me. Arboretum is also excellent and just as harsh, but I like Parade a little more because one, it takes less table space, so it isn't like you don't need the whole table for it. And two, um, I've just played Parade a lot more than Arboretum, so that's why Parade made it. I liked Arboretum so much, but I didn't like Parade. I have played it, I think, only once, so I can give some credit Maybe you got to that. play it again. Yeah. yeah. So I won't say anything against this uh, game. Uh, what's, what's your number so, four? Let's go to my number four and uh, imagine what? It's Kitchen Rush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I was just thinking, I can't believe he put Space Alert above Kitchen Rush. Like, I would have taken Kitchen Rush. And then the guy goes, okay, number four is Kitchen Rush. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's amazing. So, Enough said. <laughs> yeah, so, so they're both amazing. The Kitchen Rush, uh, according to Board Gaming, is Geek is a 45 uh, minutes game. Uh, it's best with four players. And it's like Space Alert, a real-time cooperative game uh, where players are in a kitchen and they're trying in real time to uh, prepare dishes and fulfill uh, the orders from uh, uh, that are coming through a deck of cards. The game is so much nope. fun. I have... No argument. Like, it would have been my number three. That one in Space Alert would have knocked off Parade and Red 7 if I didn't do my exclusion. So, yeah. Again, the only reason that these games are in number four and five is because I consider that Teaching Time might not shoot, make, uh, shoot them for a filler game. Okay. So that I love like, it. that's my I think number the four. I think the theme is better than Space Alert. And I would even say the gameplay is better than Space Alert. But Space Alert has more of like the ability for chaos to happen, which is because it's a programming game. Uh, Kitchen Rush is not a programming game, but it's phenomenal. It's it's charming and it's excellent. So no argument for me. By Vagelis Bagartakis, the hegemony designer. <laughs> Amazing that he did both of those games. All right, number three. My number three is Biblios. Um, oh, nice. So, I think we always used to joke that Biblius is the game that Martin Wallace should have designed. <laughs> I don't like, remember uh, that. Why? We used to make that joke like, oh, is this a Martin Wallace game? No. Like, we just kept it going. Anyway, uh, Biblius is like, I don't know what the theme is. You're a bunch of monks that are arranging books. <laughs> I don't really know. But uh, basically, it's a, very, it's a very clever game where... Um, Basically, every turn, you got to pull four cards from a deck. And um, of the four you pull, which you're pulling one at a time, you have to take one for yourself. You look at them privately first. Actually, you keep it private. You, you take one for yourself. You put two to be available for the other players because it's a four-player game. Uh, well, actually, it's not four cards. It depends on the number of players. So in a, in a, in a, in a three-player game, you would take one card you'd put two cards for other people to then draft uh, based on turn order. And then the last card you would put into a pile for a future auction. Uh, 
but you're doing this one at a time. So you're kind of pushing, like, do I want this card? Uh, is this okay to give to other people? Like, you know, or like, am I, am I gambling? And you don't have to do it in any order. So you can give up first or you can take first, but then something way better could come. So it's very clever. And then at the end of that, you under phase two of the game where you take that deck where you've all put auction cards and then you auction out those cards and people can pay cards from the, from the cards they've collected over the game. They can pay money to buy uh, books or they can pay books to get money and then again use that money to get other books to basically set collect. Um, it doesn't sound that exciting when I'm saying it like that, but the decision, the push, the push your luck decision of, do I want to keep this card or do I, or do I think I can get something better coupled with how to approach the auction? Like it's a solid auction by itself at the end of the game, but it's just the end part of a really good push your luck game. And, uh, I really love it. it. It was one of the most played, um, fillers in our group in Qatar. And honestly, I'm always ready for a game of Biblios. I do think it's a very well-designed game that's always a good time. So that's it. Number three, Biblios. Uh, I want to say about Biblios that it's uh, it's really... I love auction games, basically. Uh, it's really, as you said, not something exciting. I mean, I don't remember it as an exciting uh, process playing Biblios, but I remember it as the, the typical filler game. I mean, every time we yeah. had some time and we, we needed to fill that time, uh, let's bring Biblios. Biblios was, was exactly. the game to play. Yeah. So yeah. I, will give it, I will give that to, to Biblios. Uh, okay, great. Let's go to my number three. My number three is Flamme Rouge. R what? You just picked games. You just picked full games, I think. Like, Wait, you could Flamme totally Rouge have someone is... over to... <laughs> Flamme Rouge is actually a 45 minutes game according to BGG and <laughs> you can really teach it in five minutes. That's the good thing mm -hmm. about it. That's why I believe okay. Space Alert and Kitchen Rush can stay in number four and five and Flamme Rouge is one on top because you can really use it as a filler. So you have the basic mechanism of heat that you just described before. You should have gone for like 30 minutes as, as a cap for... for uh... For filler, I feel like it's pretty long. Like these games are pretty long. Like I, um, I wouldn't consider them fillers, but that's my opinion. It's, I don't. I've never played Flammerish though. So, yeah. Yeah, as you, I mean, you're. I mean, if it's not uh, an objective thing, so <laughs> I use the the numbers from BGG. So we can argue forever about the the numbers, and you might be right, of course. Uh, but as a 45-minute game where you can really teach it easily and just say, okay, you draw a card and you move that, and if you are behind, you are using the air, so you're now in front of the yeah. of the other uh, uh, riders. It's a great racing game, and you can uh, use it as a filler, I believe. So okay. you have never played it. It's uh, You should play it just to no. make the comparison with Hit, I think. Okay. I mean, yeah, it helps that Heat is race cars. Like the bicycle thing, I guess, I guess like my least favorite part I think of Heat is the slipstreaming. Like it's fine. It's good. It's just, it's not that exciting. Like I like the hand management of the Heat and stuff. So um, I would love to play it. I'm just, I'm not going to buy it. So that's. <laughs> no, no, you don't need to buy it. Just, just, yeah, yeah just find somewhere a friend. I, I respect you, your decision. And, 
And again, I have to say that we're both making completely different lists, which is excellent. Um, and you're welcome for two separate lists again. That's four <laughs> lists in two episodes. Anyway, number two. Let's see. Let's see if they're completely My number two lists. is Shipwreck Arcana. Oh. So Shipwreck Arcana is a co-op deduction game. And, you know, you have certain, basically, I, the theme again is weird as shit, but basically you just, you have a bunch of rules that come to the table and then everyone will pull two fate tiles and then they'll play one fate tile face up onto one of the rules. And then based on, based on deduction and even inductive reasoning to a certain extent, you will then be able to, should be able to over time decide or determine as a group what that other fate tile is. And it's really excellent because if you approach this game with a base level of like, ah, it's deduction, you will lose. I promise you. Like it's next level deduction. You you cannot just place the token and be like, what, why did he place it on this card? You also have to think, why didn't he or she place it on all the other cards instead? And it's that kind of reasoning that really gets me. And if you play it properly where the person isn't giving you any hints, you know, which, you know, I hate when that happens, it's challenging, difficult, and you can adjust the difficulty to the point that a single mistake would be the end of the game, which is my favorite way of playing it. So um, highly recommend Shipwreck Arcana. You can definitely play it well under probably half an hour is where you're at. Um, and it's honestly like a masterpiece in deduction and, uh, it's beautiful too, which helps. Uh, Cipro Carcana for me is a mind blowing design is, is an ingenious, I think, uh, design. Uh, I, uh, last week I was searching uh, the internet to see if I can buy it from some, from somewhere. I want, I, I really need a copy of this game and I really know I have like a mathematician friend here and, uh, some other friends that I really believe they're going to enjoy so much this game. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's one of the games I miss. AK, AK has it. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You've had access to a copy all this time. Like, okay, yeah. Let, let me make a note. Cypric <laughs> <laughs> Arcana it is. Okay, so I couldn't agree more on Cypric Arcana. I think the reason that it's not in my top five is that according to BGG, it's a 60 minutes game and I tried to have a 50 or less. Okay. That's, right. that's the only reason I didn't make, make I it I don't think I've ever list. played the game for an hour, but okay. Uh, so my number two is, a, I guess, a replacement to your Biblios game and it's High Society. Uh, I played the. I didn't like it. Really? It's an auction game like Biblios. It's a yeah. Reiner Knizia game. It's a 30 minutes game. Uh, it reminds me of... Sorry, that's what we used to say, that Biblios should have been a Reiner Knizia game, not a, not a Martin oh. Wallace game. Apologies. Okay, it makes sense. All right, good. Uh, so I, I wanted an auction game as a filler game, and I was thinking Modern Art also, which is also a Reiner Knizia game. I went with High Society as a three to five players uh, uh, bidding game. You bid against each other to, uh, to get some cards that are representing various viable things. 
So these cards are positive numbers and multipliers. Okay. And at the same time, you're trying to avoid getting negative numbers and divisor cards. So the funny thing is that while bidding, you should keep an eye on your remaining cards because at the end of the game, uh, the player with the least money isn't even considered for victory. So even if you have the most victory points, even in the end, if in the end of the game you don't have, uh, uh, you have the least money, you're out of the game, and this makes the game so uh, funny and strange. And at the same time, it's a fast game, and I, I believe it has all the good qualities of uh, Biblios. The, I, I'm not sure why I prefer this uh, over Biblios. I guess it's faster. Maybe. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty fast. Do you have a copy? And more straight... No. Do you want my copy? I'm not sure if By Byron... You have a copy? Yeah, I got it in a trade. Oh, why? I got it in a trade. Uh, oh. I got the new edition. I got it... Um, I traded something for Pax Viking and High Society. And we played it a couple of times. And, uh, and um, it's not really working with us. So... Um, you can click. You want it? Okay. It's yours. Totally, yeah. Yeah. 100%. All right. I'll, I you respect me? your choice. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to mail it to you because that will then cost like $1,000, but I'll uh, I'll put it on the side for you or <laughs> whenever you come. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. the spirit. It's yours. I'll make a note of it. Number one. So what's your number one? You want to guess? Do we have any crossovers? Uh, well, I cannot guess. I was thinking you're gonna put somewhere like uh, uh, some more meaty games, like uh, Race for the Galaxy or uh, Roll for the Galaxy. Or no, something. I, I removed but those. But now that you're yeah. um, so, we might have the same number one. Well, no, I, I think say, I think deduction. I, I think your number one is Cryptid, which is my honorable mention. Is it is it a deduction game? It's an induction game. Wow. My number one so is Zendo. It's the it's the same. <laughs> you make Zendo? <laughs> I I I I love this game. Like every time Zendo comes out, I try to think about the fact that what we must look like playing with a bunch of colored blocks and and squeezing our head and like having like wrinkles on our forehead and like being, we must look ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like imagine a bunch of kids <laughs> stacking blocks on top of each other and then just staring at it. <laughs> Cause that's what it is. Right. So, so Zendo is a game where one person is the master every round and uh, they have a rule, a card that gives them a rule. And then they have to build a structure that is true to that rule and a structure that is false to that rule. And then when everyone's turn, they build a structure. They can either choose to build a structure and be like, does this follow the rule? And then the master says, it has Buddha nature or it does not have Buddha nature. And then, oh, and, and you collect these like <laughs> guest tokens and you can submit the guest tokens to make a guess, right? Of what the rule is. But the reason I adore Zendo, every time we start the game, usually there's a new player or whatever, we start with easier ones, we teach them the game. Then we go to the hard ones right away. And by the end of the game, 
nobody gives a shit about winning or getting the points. Everyone is working together to figure out these rules. We all being like, to figure out what the fuck is going on here. <laughs> Zendo is an incredible game. I, I don't know what to say. I love this game. To me, it's the best filler ever made. What about you? So, yeah, so I did the spoiler. It's my number one, too. Uh, I prefer this over Cryptid, uh, which is another great... Uh, I love Cryptid. It's uh, another great deduction game. But, uh, yeah, we had so much fun playing Zendo, exactly. I mean, just looking at other people's eyes, trying to figure <laughs> out what the fuck is going on in this game. <laughs> what is this law that governs these uh, pieces of block? Yeah. And uh, and uh, one confession I have to make is that the, I think the first two times we played the game, uh, you were saying, does this game has a, how do you call it, Buddha this nature? A, a Buddha nature, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I remember me driving home and I was thinking, what's Buddha nature? I, I thought it was one word, Buddha nature. What's, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> I was. I, I thought it was like a term of the game, like we're just trying to to find the Buddha nature. <laughs> With that, we don't know what. It is. <laughs> That's just an extra element of theme to throw on there. But no, it's genuinely a masterpiece. It, 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 and yeah, it's so funny that the game is at the same time so serious. Yeah, it's an abstract game that you're trying to find the the what is governing. Yeah, the, the laws. The governing law. And at yeah. the same time, it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, how it, it, it's just, I, it's just I, I, maybe it's, it was our group playing like that. No, maybe no, it's not for everybody. I don't know. I, I think that game is like the idea of like you have like yellow rectangles, cones, and uh, what, what's the other, and then blue and then red also. And then you're just building a 3D structure. Then over time, there's like seven 3D structures built out onto the board. And then everyone's staring at it going, like, what the fuck? <laughs> My favorite was when when, was when the person would build one really complex structure and say, this follows the rule. And then for the other one, they would put like one red block. Boop. This doesn't follow the rule. And you're like, fuck you, man. Give me more information. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so what we have done here uh, with this game group is we have played uh, Eleusis. E-L-E-U-S-I-S. It's a, it's a game that you can play with a deck of cards where there is one player that comes up with a rule and the sequence of cards should uh, comply with this rule. So the players around, they, each one of them, they play a card uh, on the table uh, creating a sequence and if the played card does not comply, you take it back. Mm. So you're trying to find the rule that uh, in order to get rid of all of your cards. That's very cool. It's a very old game. It's a, it's a very old concept. And of course, Zendo is doing it really better. But this is our, for, for now, this, this is uh, our uh, it's, sub... Uh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Zendo. I just looked it up and it looks super cool. You know, and I love games like that, but like, you know, the problem with Zendo, the only problem is I bring it out. It's rattling like a box of toys. I put it on the table. It's a bunch of like exactly, bricks. Exactly. And 
people don't believe me that this is going to break their brain. You know what I mean? <laughs> Looks like a yeah, toy. It, okay, it looks silly. It it yeah, it looks like okay, a toy of my kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so since we didn't talk about them, uh, the two we didn't get to my honorable mentions were Cryptid and King Domino. I thought King Domino is excellent game. So. Oh, King Domino could make it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. That that's a very good uh, suggestion. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. That was uh, amazing. Uh, we did have a uh, one crossover uh, eventually. Yeah, uh, the most important for, uh, one, the number one. So the most important one for our li uh, listeners out there. Please don't forget to let us know what your top five fillers are over at our board game geek guild. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I don't know. I mean, just go to board game geek and uh it's in our description and, uh, people you're confusing everybody more <laughs> the link it's in our description <laughs> you morons of course i mean me moron <laughs> so that brings us to yeah, I'm sorry. the end of this tabletop session thank you so much for listening make sure to follow us on instagram at tabletop sessions where i post uh pretty terrible pictures with pretty terrible captions. Uh, join the conversation and let us know what your top five was this month over at our Board Game Geek Guild. You can find the link to both of these in the episode description. We'll be back in a month. And until then, to quote one of my favorite writers, God damn it, you've got to be kind. Say bye, Ippo. Bye-bye, guys. And to be clear, say bye, Ippo is not part of that quote table by Kurt Vonnegut. And I'm going to argue that your photos are nice. Well, well compared photos. to yours, everyone's photos are nice. So it's, uh... <laughs> I blame my camera. <laughs> In all of my five different phones that I changed <laughs> during the last years, I always blame my camera for, for, the, for my bad. Picture.